Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 347, and we're talking about money for travel. I like to have money for travel. Yeah, I'd like to have more money for travel. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't we all? Well, we are in Australia right now spending some time with Linda's family. It's been pretty cool. A couple of, uh, I was going to say road trips, but train trips and plane trips are more accurate. Yeah, last week we headed up to Echuca, which is on the northern border of the state of Victoria, which is where we are. We're just outside of Melbourne, traveling with two small boys, one's four and one's seven, and they really, really love trains. So that was a very fun trip. And then when we're up in Echuca, we went on a paddle steamer, which is also really fun. Yeah, it's quite a neat little place. It's one of these towns that was a popular tourist destination when paddle boats and river boats were the mode of travel. So it's quite cool how they've kind of, that's all died off. It's not used for transporting goods anymore. It's no longer a a real port. And so they've reinvented it as a tourism destination. Yeah, and it was really fun. And tomorrow, it's really exciting. Both my sister and my brother-in-law are pilots, and their company used to have a rule that family members couldn't fly together. So Matt's a captain and Anna's a first officer. So technically, they could fly together, but they weren't allowed to until about two weeks ago when they changed the rules. So my sister very quickly reorganized her roster so that she'd be able to do a flight with with Matt. And we're going to go along as well with the two boys. So it's going to be a real family flight. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be cool. And then we're down to New Zealand after that. So our next show will be coming to you from home. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Over the last couple of months, we've been quite busy. And I'm sorry for the delay in getting a podcast out to you, but We went to record about a month ago and Craig got sick. Luckily, he's better now, so that's good. And then we're just traveling and traveling. So we were doing... You make it sound like you pulled out the microphone and I dropped on the (laughs) ground. It was almost like that. I mean, we planned to record that day and I said, are we going to? And you said, no, I'm sick. Yeah, that's true. But before that, we were house-sitting. We spent uh, a couple of weeks in Cambridge, which was really nice, and met up with Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveller, which was really awesome. Oh, and I forgot to mention that a couple of months ago when we were in Edinburgh, we finally met up with Mark Peacock from Travel Commons, which is one of my favorite travel podcasts. So that was really awesome. After Cambridge, we spent a week in Ware, pretty much staying on a on a golf course. And yes, we have heard all the jokes about the name Ware. Ware? <laughs> yes. I don't think we can ever stay there again because it was just so frustrating (laughs) having to answer that question. But that was really fun. And then we went down to London for World Travel Market and went to another conference, stayed with my brother Simon and his wife Katie, which was really nice. And the highlight of our time in London was finally, finally going to Dance Lenoir, which is a dining in the dark experience. I wanted to do it for so long and we finally did it and it was awesome. So we showed up and we had to leave all our stuff in some little cupboards um, in the in the lobby so that we didn't have any lights. And then we were shown into the small room. Actually, we were really lucky because we had the, the private room upstairs instead of the main dining room. So it was just us and one other family. And we had the best waiter. He was so cool. But yeah, just a really interesting experience not being able to see what you're eating. I stuck with knives and forks the whole time, but Katie gave up after about three minutes. Just <laughs> ate with her hands. <laughs> so often the way. Uh, this episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is being sponsored by StickerU. That's Sticker Y-O-U. StickerU is an innovative site that sells all sorts of stickers, labels, decals, temporary tattoos, all that kind of stuff. You can get custom products, upload your own designs with no minimum quantities, order any size, any shape, any quantity, and really good prices too. 
What I'm excited about, though, is for a limited time, Sticky U is offering free travel stickers. You know, those old school ones that you used to see on uh, old school suitcases? They've kind of disappeared now that we have fabric suitcases and they don't stick quite so well, but stickers are still really cool. So head to IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Sticky U, that's Sticker Y-O-U, to see all the information. And uh, just remember to use the coupon code I love to travel at checkout. That's two as a digit. So it's U with Y-O-U and two just as a number. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I love to travel. Check out. Yeah. That's all on the page anyway, so it's pretty easy. Cool. Before we move on to the show, one last touch of uh, Mother England. Listen to the bells from the church in Great Finborough. All right. Let's get on to talking about money for travel. Now, we originally recorded a podcast on this topic for episode 81 and episode 114 and episode 115. Wow, double take. Yeah, triple take, actually. All back in 2009. So I figured it was about time to revisit the topic, roll it all into one and have a super episode. Wow, I guess the economy has changed a little bit since 2009. (laughs) Yeah, I think most of the tips are pretty similar. But um, yeah, it's just more to have it all at one. Gosh, we're old, aren't we? Yeah, actually, what year is it? 2017? That's eight years ago. Yeah. Far out. So we're going to be talking about um, money before you travel, making money while you're traveling, managing your money while you're traveling, ways to spend less while you travel, and money and your traveling companions. So I don't think we've taken on too much for this episode at all. Mega, mega episode. Well, first thing is that travel does cost money, but it's not as expensive as people think. You can choose how much to spend with a very few items that are kind of non-negotiable. But even then, there's often ways to minimize those costs, get around them. Or, you know, you can just blow everything in in one short trip. So it's, yeah, really so much is about your personality and your current situation. But there's often a way to be able to get moving. Yeah, I think a lot of people think of travel as holiday time, you know, time to loosen up, spend a bit more, you know, be relaxed, that kind of thing. But you can do it on a budget. And another thing is that flights tend to be one of the major costs, although these days they can be a lot cheaper. If you're traveling for a long time, like we travel for six, seven months at a time or more, when you spread the cost out over that amount of time, they work out cheaper per day, right? If you're going to, say you're traveling from Australia to to Europe for two weeks, well, your flight costs are going to make up a large proportion of your budget. But if you're going for six months, then it's not such a large proportion. Yeah, it's true. So maximize the experience that you get out of the money you're spending. Okay, so let's start by talking about before you travel. It's a good idea to save up. We've heard about a lot of people just grabbing a credit card, putting their flights on the credit card, and then, you know, just thinking they'll they'll sort it out later. We strongly recommend that you save up, have a bit of money in the bank, and spend the money that you actually have. So when we first got married, we got a book called For Richer Not Poorer. Cheesy. It was the cheesiest book, and it was super cheesy, but it really helped us with our finances because we were poor students and we didn't really know much about budgeting, and it just taught us some really useful skills. One of the things it talked about was sitting down and taking a really good look at your finances, making sure you understand your current position. So think about what you spend your money on and write it all down. Then think about what you're spending that is non-essential. You can cancel subscriptions, uh, change your habits. If you're buying a coffee every day at a coffee shop, that's one way to save a lot of money. Make your own coffee. 
Yeah, we found it helpful to use a cash budgeting system so that we had more control over our finances. Now, there were obviously set costs that came out of the bank every month regardless, but things like groceries, discretionary spending, haircuts, that kind of general stuff that can really float quite a lot over the month. We took money out of the bank at the start of the month or the start of every fortnight. We knew what we could spend to hit our saving goals. So when we ran out of cash, well, that was the end of coffees and chocolates and things like that. Yeah, and one thing we did that was really helpful was that we had um, a discretionary budget. So there was so much money for groceries and so much for petrol and so much for haircuts, things like that. And then each of us got, say, whatever it was, 20 bucks or $30 a week. That was no questions asked money. And I think that's really important just to have even just a small amount. I mean, at one point we, was, we weren't very well off and we made it $5. But it was just something so we could go, this is my money to spend on whatever I like. If you really want that coffee, you can get it. But, you know, that just means you don't get something later in the week. So I found that really helpful. Yeah, on the other side of that, of course, it's kind of easier to eliminate costs than it is to make more money. But obviously that's the other side of the savings game, right? So look at getting a part-time job, look at some uh, gigs you could do, and if you're going to be traveling for a long time, use this secondary job as a chance to find some location-independent work, uh, copywriting, graphic design, accountancy with a couple of clients, that's your gig. Whatever your skills are, leverage them to uh, get the, the most money out of that time. But it's a great way, if you can keep up a couple of clients with those kinds of jobs, you'll likely keep them up on the road and keep a little bit of money trickling in while you travel. And also, if you're in the position to do so, you could also ask your boss for a raise. Always worth asking. Or maybe for extra hours. There are different ways to do it. Yeah, so then uh, what are you doing with this money? Our success, our ability to travel for such a long time has really come from the fact that we attacked our debt like maniacs for our first years out of university. Uh, We knocked off credit cards and then overdrafts and then student loans uh, just by working way too much and going, this is short-term pain for long-term gain. And uh, we attacked that so violently that uh, it's taken a lot of the financial stress out of long-term travel. Yeah, so make sure to save sensibly. If you have debt, look at what you're paying the most interest on, which is probably credit card debt, so pay that off first and then pay off other debts and then start building up a savings account. There's no point creating a savings account if you owe money because it just it just doesn't work out financially. Yeah, well, if you had like five grand in savings getting 1% interest and you've got five grand in credit card debt getting 22% interest charged on it, you know, that 1% isn't getting you very far. Yeah. Okay. Another thing to think about before you travel is don't go out and buy a whole bunch of expensive gear. It can be tempting because you're like, I'm going to go traveling. I need all this stuff. You don't need all that stuff. You probably don't need much of it at all. Make a list of what you do need. I would recommend good socks, walking shoes, for example, and budget a certain amount per week to buy that. Or just keep putting money into your savings and kind of earmark a small amount of that to go towards picking up the gear that you need. Yeah, if you can set a date, like having that date and being able to work backwards from that with the amount of money you need can really help you to stick to that savings plan because it feels like it's getting closer all of the time. Uh, It's really hard to keep a goal unless you're constantly comparing 
where you are now with where you want to be. I was reading about that uh, this week. You know, the traditional thing of setting smart goals Mm -hmm. can be demotivating, but the remotivating factor is looking at that comparison of where you want to be and why you set those goals up in the first time. So yeah, so having that that amount to target and bringing that uh, that future future enjoyment to mind can help you stick with it. Definitely. When we first started dreaming about travel, we didn't set a date. We just started trying to pay off our debts and save up a little bit. And then there came a point where we're like, no, no, we're definitely going to do this. And we said, we're going to travel on this day. And I'm not sure if we booked our flights or if we just, you know, set that date. And we had a, a figure in mind that we wanted to get to. And so we could kind of do the maths and say, okay, we've got, say, 20 weeks left and we need to earn so much more. And you could divide it up and you can say, okay, I need this much per per week. And you can have a look at your uh, finances again to see if you're working towards that in a logical way. So if you're going away for a couple of weeks, it probably won't make much sense to be doing any work while you're away. You're going to maximize the enjoyment of that short time. But if you're going away for a longer period or looking to travel indefinitely, then you do want to have some income, not only because the the money is nice or essential, depending on how much you've saved, but also because it actually helps to give some structure to your day and uh, stops you from getting that hedonistic boredom that you get when you wake up after two months and you still have no goals and nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are dozens of ways to earn money while you're traveling, but I think you can probably group them into three main categories, work for yourself, work remotely for someone else, or local work. So let's talk about working for yourself first. So you can start up a business like our web development and hosting company, Performance Foundry, something that you can do anywhere. You just need an internet connection and a computer. Yeah, if you don't want all of the work of setting up a whole company, you can set yourself up as an independent contractor or a freelancer. Uh, Depending on whatever your skills are from your normal life, uh, you can leverage those often into consulting or freelance work. A third way, which is kind of somewhere between running a company and being a freelancer, is having a lifestyle business. And uh, commercial blogging is one of the most common lifestyle businesses I see people picking up while they travel. Uh, Be aware that blogging, like all publishing, is really hard work. It takes either some extreme smarts and shortcuts or a lot of hard work to uh, build up an audience that's profitable enough to keep you uh, on the road. So if you're going to do something like that, any of these things, you don't want to walk out the door, start traveling, and then set it up. You're going to leverage a little bit of time during your preparations to try and get as much up and running as you can. Definitely. Okay, moving on to working for someone else. Have a look at your current job. Can it travel? Maybe your boss would be happy for you to do remote work. One of our friends did exactly that. She was working for a company and uh, she realized that she could do the work from home. So she started working several days a week from home. And then when she started traveling, she just spoke to her boss and said, well, I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to Mexico. Can I do this job from Mexico? And they said, sure, because they were already accustomed to her not working in the office. So some jobs this isn't going to work for, but have a look at your job. Maybe it will work. Yeah, you can also look at uh, online marketplaces to get a job that's online or remote. Uh, Teaching English by Skype is one of the ones that jumps to my mind right away here. It's work that you do by the hour, 
an organization, a company, manages all of the commercial relationships, and you just have to make sure that you're there on time with a decent internet connection to uh, work with your students every week. Now, the third option is to work locally, and I think this is a really good option because it gives you a chance to really immerse yourself in, in the location. That's something that we did when we first started traveling. We were working as English teachers in the destination we were traveling. So we had contact with local people and contact with students from different countries. Because we planned to do this before we started traveling, we did a TESOL course, teaching English to speaks of other languages. So we did a little bit of preparation. We also thought about doing a bartender course because we thought that could be quite a cool job for meeting people. But then we realized we really didn't want to do that because we're not very big on staying up all night. And also it isn't the kind of work we'd enjoy. So think about jobs that can that you can do while you're traveling and make sure it's something that you might be interested in. Yeah, and like while a lot of the remote opportunities are their knowledge work, you know, they're, they're to do with taking information and, and transforming it or understanding it in some way. But local work uh, is good for physical work. So if that's more what you're accustomed to, then that can be great. But be aware you'll probably need to get a special visa in order to get local jobs with local companies. If you're under 30 or in some cases under 35, keep an eye out for the great work and travel programs that many countries offer. Each one's different, but as a general rule, you can stay in a destination for up to 12 months and work for six months at that time. And also, some countries allow you to double that time if you meet a need that's really required. For example, in um, Australia, if you get a job fruit picking, then you can stay for, for a longer period of time. Yeah, and if you plan to spend a while in one place, you might also need a work permit if you're running your own business. So be aware of that. Check with your local embassy and uh, figure out what's going on with your own business advisor, lawyer, accountant, uh, you know, whoever you need to talk to to make that work. Yeah, I know that some countries offer interesting like entrepreneur visas to allow people who have their own business to kind of set up shop for a, for a short amount of time or for a year or two years. So that might be worth looking into as well. Yeah, and that can be a path to residency if you find out that you're really enjoying the place that you've uh, ended up being. Okay, let's move on to point number three, which is managing your money while you travel. This is a really important one and it's valid for any length of time. So firstly, create a budget. Have a budget for your trip and stick to it, more or less. I mean, you need, you're traveling, right? You need to have fun. You need to enjoy yourself. You may have to adjust it on the road. You might find that you uh, guesstimated a completely wrong amount that you'd need for your travel. That's okay. But uh, in order to get a good, realistic budget for your trip, do some research before you go to work out what a reasonable daily spending allowance could be for your destination or destinations. Yeah, accommodation prices are uh, often a good guide. If you're looking at staying in a hostel, uh, you can use that often as a proxy for the kind of backpacker living costs. Hotels aren't so easy to, to tie in directly, but accommodation costs are often somehow in line with the, uh, the cost of that city or town. Yeah, so have a look on Booking.com or Hostel World to get an idea of how much a room costs, how much a dorm bed costs. I mean, you'll know what kind of accommodation you're, you're happy with. Or you might want to start out with hosteling and then move on to nicer rooms or mix it up a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a good place to start. Yeah, definitely. And uh, there are some cost of living sites. Uh, what's the one that you've been using most recently? Uh, numbio.com. If you go to numbio.com, that's N-U-M-B-E-O.com slash cost hyphen of hyphen living. That's quite a good uh, place to start. 
Yeah, it can give you an idea of what's going on. One thing that often surprises me is in countries where food and accommodation and drink is quite cheap, and then transport costs are like more expensive yeah, than anywhere strange. else. And so that can really catch you sometimes. So being aware of, especially if you're doing like overland, multi-day, multi-month trips, yeah. uh, being aware that sometimes you can go on a, a bus for five hours and it'll cost you the same as five days worth of accommodation. It's uh, kind of crazy. Yeah, I think the main categories to think about are accommodation, transport, and food and drink and then entertainment. So uh, we didn't really include entertainment as its own category, but you can either choose those three or those four as you like. Yeah, look into the accommodation prices on a a site like booking.com. Rome to Rio can be quite helpful for getting a guide for transport. This numbio.com can be good for food prices and also public transport. Entertainment is going to vary wildly depending on what you want to do. So that's why we usually just stick to the three three categories for working out a, a daily budget. And then how do you track that? Well, I am a terrible tracker and wouldn't track it at all, but uh, Linda's got the mindset to be able to do that. Well, we used to do it using this cash budgeting system that we were talking about earlier, but now we use Trail Wallet, which is a travel spend app, and we've been using it for about two years now. So what you do is you set either a daily budget or a trip budget, and then you record your expenses in different categories. So you need to remember to do the data entry after every purchase. Um, You can keep it simple in terms of categories like food, accommodation, transport, entertainment, those categories I just mentioned, or set up as many groupings as you like. So I think we've got got one called drinks. We've got one called coffee out because we noticed that that was something we did a lot of. We've got one called entertainment. We've got one called health because, you know, when we spend on, I don't know, going to the doctor, it's interesting to know, or a medicine, it's interesting to know that we're spending on that. But yeah, it's up to you. And you can have a look at the graph at the end of your trip or partway through your trip to see what you're actually spending money on. It's quite interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, ways that you can track this kind of thing. But what I like about Trail Wallet is that you can download the exchange rates for various currencies. And so you can always do input in the local currency, which saves a whole lot of thinking. Mm-hmm. And then you get a proxy back into the currency that you care about for monitoring your budget. Yeah, and if you set the budget for your whole trip, you can also see, if you've gone over a little bit, how much you've got left per day to spend. So. For example, at the moment, we're a little bit over our daily budget for this trip that we're on at the moment. And so I can just press a button. I can see, okay, our regular budget is so much per day, but our adjusted budget for the rest of the trip is considerably lower if we want to keep within the total trip budget. That's quite helpful. Absolutely. So since we're talking about budget, let's look at a couple of ways that you can spend less money. And we're going to fly through these a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's look at each category. So first of all, accommodation. One way to save money on accommodation, well, do some volunteer work in exchange for accommodation, for example, woofing, or you could try couch surfing. We really love couch surfing because it means you get to meet local people again. You don't want to do that all the time, though, because it can be quite exhausting. And house sitting has been really great for us recently. You can spend less on food by eating out a little bit less, and uh, when you do eat out, get deals at inexpensive locations. So get to know the supermarkets, get to know the different fixed-price menus around you. Quite often that's great for lunch in Europe. Airbnb can be a great choice when it comes to saving food because you normally have access to a kitchen. So you can cook for yourself, store things in the fridge, all that kind of stuff. Make sure you always have snacks with you. This is a major thing because if you find that you're hungry and you really need to eat something, you're going to 
have to buy something and you'll probably have to pay inflated prices because you'll just have to get it wherever you are. So if you have a snack with you, you you know that you're not overspending on that. Yeah, meal deals are like the menu del dia in Spain and uh, in the UK, especially going through airports and things like that, we've been taking advantage of the meal deals that you get in places like Boots and WH Smith uh, just to get a, a sandwich and a snack before being fed on the plane. And of course, we're big fans of eating out uh, at street food and, you know, scavenging what we can along the streets and in markets rather than eating in a restaurant. I think that's part of the the greatest fun of being on the road. Be aware of your destination, though, because in some places, in a lot of Asia, for example, it's actually cheaper to eat out in a budget restaurant than it is to go to the supermarket and buy everything you need. So say, for example, you're couch surfing and you want to say thank you to your your hosts, you might be better taking them out for a meal rather than trying to cook something. You can spend less on attractions by trying to get hold of any discount cards that you possibly could ahead of your travel. There are lots of places that will give discounts to students, to under 26s, to teachers. So look at, and for retirees, of course, as well. So look at any uh, any ways you might be able to leverage uh, your situation for discount cards. Yeah, and some places offer at half price if you travel by train, for example, or if you're traveling as a group. There are also voucher sites like Groupon.com that allow you to purchase a ticket in advance for cheaper. So if it's quite a high ticket item, then it's worth doing the research. Definitely. And a lot of places have free periods, like museums in some places will be free on Mondays or, you know, at certain points during the day. So if you're going to be somewhere for a few days and you're looking at things like museums and galleries, then yeah, definitely keep an eye out for when they're going to be free and try and plan around that. And also think about whether you really, really want to do the activity. If it's something that you're only 50-50 on, It might be worth saving the money if it's quite an expensive item on something else. Yeah. So transport's one of our biggest costs each year, and we minimize that by buying in advance as much as we can. There are often significant discounts in most countries for buying things in advance. Yeah, that's for flights, trains, all sorts of things like that. everything. We saved a lot on train tickets this year, especially in the UK, by by doing some research. And also, the other day, we went to the... Uh, train station to buy some tickets. And we'd looked online and there was no discount for buying in advance. I wasn't quite sure about purchasing from the machine. There was some concern or something. So we went up to the counter and we asked for the ticket. The clerk told us that actually if we booked a return, a day return, it was cheaper than buying a single. So that was kind of annoying because we were going to spend, I think it was 15 pounds per person. It worked out to 11. So we saved about eight pounds between the two of us. And I wouldn't have even thought to look for that. I mean, sometimes it's just a little bit more expensive to get a return. But yeah, I was very glad that she told us that trick. Definitely. That was worth a couple of beers. <laughs> uh, there are services like Secret Flying that have information about offers in New Zealand. Uh, Grab a Seat, that's an Air New Zealand website, has information about uh, special special discounts. So sign up for your favorite airline's newsletter so that you know when they're having a, a sale. You can also use budget airlines. We fly on... EasyJet, Ryanair, uh, all of these really cheap airlines quite a lot. They Once again, you have to book in advance, but they often have very, very cheap deals. 
Yeah, when you have more time than money available, traveling by true local transport. So I don't mean like the intercity coach. I mean the the slow regional buses <laughs> to go from place to place can not always, but can be significantly cheaper than going on a direct intercity, and can give you some really neat experiences in places that you wouldn't otherwise be. Yeah, you might have to change buses somewhere, and then you end up having an experience there. We used to travel through the UK by megabus a lot, and I remember we paid one pound fifty or something to get from London to Aberdeen. At some point, we went to Aberdeen recently, and we flew because we just decided that it wasn't the money saving wasn't worth the time expense. And also, I think that trip we did it overnight, and I didn't sleep at all, so it would have just been the loss of quite a lot of time to travel by bus. But yeah, definitely a good way to save money. Hey, let's have a few words on money and your traveling companions.、Uh, if you're traveling as a couple, you probably have most of your、uh, money things sorted out. But if you're traveling with friends, it might get a little bit crunchy. So it's important to talk about how you're going to organize your finances and your money before you leave. Right? It, it kind of becomes an ongoing thing. Otherwise. Uh, as you decide to share or not to share, and how to balance both of your expectations. Definitely, the summary is: talk about it. Just talk about it. Work out what you're going to do, and then try to stick to it. If you're a long-term couple, you probably find it easier just to pull resources and pay for everything out of a joint account or a shared credit card. That's what we do. We find it helpful for one of us to be largely responsible for paying for things. So that's Craig. He just does all the paying, and then I record what we pay for in Trail Wallet. So that's how we do it. But、um, you might find it easier to do it some other way. If you don't want to share, or if you're traveling with a, a companion and you don't have a shared account, you can either just pay for everything separately, or you could use some kind of kitty arrangement to make sure costs are shared equally. So, say for example, if you're buying something that's just for you, you pay for it by yourself. But、uh, if you're paying for something that's a shared expense, so maybe you're sharing a room,、uh, you'd use the kitty. So you could have a shared purse where everyone contributes equally when it's running low. Or you could have a more complicated system.、Uh, when we travel with our friends Janine and Ange, we have this spreadsheet system, which involves someone pays for something and then that brings them up in the spreadsheet, and then someone else pays for something and that brings them up. Not going to go into it because it's a little bit complicated, but it works really well for us. Now, of course, if you're traveling with someone and you have different opinions about what to spend that shared money on, once again, you're going to have to negotiate. So it's important to decide which costs will be covered by the kitty and which should be paid for individually. So if everyone's involved, then it makes sense for the kitty to pay. But、uh, you know, if it's something that if you're just buying your own ice cream, just pay for your own ice cream, right? <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, this isn't always about money. As you know, as like, do we have enough? Quite often, it's the emotional feeling of. Would I enjoy spending my money and my time on this,、mm. or will I feel guilty because this person wants to go and do it, and I couldn't care less?、Yeah. So a lot of it is to do with your preferences and your travel styles. Definitely. And so even with with great friends that share a lot of、uh, a lot of values, just do everything together, and there's never any problems. There can still be some conflict around this. Yeah. So, say for example, one person really wants to do a, a one-week luxury retreat, and that's going to use up half the budget. And the traveling companion doesn't want to do that; would prefer to spend that money on backpacking for six months. You know, you need to negotiate this, bef- preferably before you set out.、Oh, something that big, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, I mean, that's an extreme example, but that kind of thing on a lower scale happens all the time. 
So, I mean, if an awesome but maybe slightly expensive opportunity comes up while you're traveling, I recommend you discuss it together and work out if it's something that both of you or all of you want to do. Uh, If only one person wants to do it, maybe she could do it by herself and everyone else in the group can find another activity to do in the meantime. But it's a tough one. You do just need to talk about it. Yeah, or to bring that example back down to the everyday scale, Linda and I have this conversation quite often over lunch. It's like some days just a sandwich will do or even a couple of bits of fruit or, you know, something like that. That's enough. That's fine. And other times for me, I want to sit down and have like a bit of steak or a, you know, like a big pub lunch kind of thing. And Linda won't. She'll just want something light and easy. And so that's also that kind of negotiation. It's not a a one-week luxury retreat versus months of (laughs) staying on the road, but it's that same kind of thing. And that's the everyday negotiation that you'll end up having to do. So if you're not used to making those decisions with friends, then yeah, it can be tough. And the bigger the group, the fewer decisions get made. That's true. So if you're traveling in a group, you should all agree that at some points, people are going to be unhappy with some of the decisions that are going to be made. And that, you know, we try and keep it fair and balanced, but it's just going to happen. Yeah, we found it helpful when traveling with a group recently for each person to have kind of one non-negotiable, the one thing that they wanted to do during this trip. And everyone else kind of agreed to do that one thing with them. So that meant that, you know, you didn't end up doing your one thing but by yourself and feeling alone, you know. And, uh, and we just arranged the trip around that. So that could be a good way to do it. And then you could also have kind of would like to do's that are things that, you know, I'd like to do this, but if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. So make sure you're aware of your own preferences before going into a conversation because so often people will just go, oh, yeah, no, anything's fine, and then it, it isn't really. <laughs> and there's so many things There's so many things that could be said about travel and money, but hopefully this has given you some inspiration about how to reach your goals, some ideas about how to travel longer, travel further, travel more enjoyably, and hopefully have a little bit less stress while doing all of that. But if you have any ideas or anything you want to share, if you disagree with us, come by IndieTravelPodcast.com. You can find the show notes there and leave a comment. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Also, while you're at IndieTravelPodcast.com, don't forget to visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash you. that's with a Y-O-U, for your free travel sticker. Even if you don't have the iconic kind of old school suitcase to stick it on, it could be a good addition to your laptop, for example, or to add to a gift for another traveler in your life. I mean, Christmas is coming up, so it could make a nice little extra Ooh, bit. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. It does seem like laptops are the new suitcases when it comes to sticking random stuff on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got all sorts of stickers on yours, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Kind absolutely. of a, the, the memory of uh, where you've been and what you've been doing. So yeah. yeah, that could be a good way to use it. Yeah, quite often beer and wine labels. Mm, It does seem like that. Also, remember to check out StickyU.com to see the other products that StickyU have on offer, including custom stickers, labels, decals, temporary tattoos, all of that kind of thing. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. As Linda said, we're going up to Brisbane on Friday, flying into New Zealand over the weekend, and then we've got a bit of a road trip planned. That's going to be exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited. We're going on a a spaceship. I know we've talked about spaceships before, but they're basically one of these large people mover cars that's been converted into a a camper van. And we're just doing a relocation deal. So we're traveling really quickly from Christchurch up to Picton, across on the ferry to Wellington, Hopefully we'll visit Craig's sister there, go up to Gisborne to see my dad, 
up to Tauranga to visit some friends there, and then back up to Auckland in a kind of flying visit. Yeah, and this ties in really well to some of the strategy that we've talked about in this show, because by using a relocation deal, instead of paying, I don't know, around $100, I guess, it's it's not quite high season, but it's getting there. Instead of paying whatever the day rate is, we're paying $1 a day to take this vehicle against the flow of traffic, because most people fly into Auckland and leave their camper vans in Christchurch. And then the poor fleets have all of these vehicles sitting in Christchurch when people in Auckland want to hire them. So yeah, for a dollar a day, having our ferry trip paid for, we're able to to go against the flow. And we're trading that off against time, which we don't have a lot of anyway. So Yeah. All we have to pay for is the petrol. And I think in the end it will work out about the same price as flights from Christchurch to Auckland. But we get to have a road trip. We get to visit Craig's sister and my dad on the way. And yeah, I think it's going to be a really good trip. Yeah, great experience. So our next episode will uh, be coming to you from New Zealand. And uh, I guess we'll see you then. Until next time, travel well.